Welcome to this month's episode of The Vegan Pod. Following reports this year that plant-based sales have dropped, today we're discussing the plant-based food market and exploring whether there's any truth in the speculation that the vegan bubble has burst. There have been a number of companies this year, including Beyond Meat and Heck, reporting a drop in plant-based sales, which the media has been very quick to say points to interest in veganism beginning to decline. However, a look in more detail at some of the facts presents a different picture. The latest figures show that the number of vegans in the UK continues to increase, with the current estimate sitting at around 1.35% of the population. And Veganuary, meanwhile, still saw a record number of sign-ups in 2023, with over 700,000 people registering to take part and many thousands more joining in without signing up. The growing interest in veganism over the last few years has meant that some plant-based product categories in the UK have seen double or triple digit growth. Was this boom always likely to lead to a readjustment in sales when the market stabilises? Is the cost of living crisis also a factor in reduced sales? We know that many consumers are looking to cut the cost of their grocery shopping and the first items to go are often those in a higher price bracket, which may include plant-based meat substitutes. So how are vegan brands adapting to the changing market and what successes and challenges have they experienced over what may have been a tricky time? Today, we're joined by fantastic guests from two vegan trademark brands to help us explore all those questions. Joe Hill joins us from One Planet Pizza, a company he started with his dad in 2016, as well as Rick Roberts, the general manager of Cracked, a vegan egg replacement brand that was established in 2020. Welcome to you both. Hey, Rachel. It's Rachel, yeah, lovely to be on here. And uh, I don't believe we've met before, Rick, so pleasure to be on the, on the conversation with you. Likewise. Great. I love it. I'm introducing people to each other, growing the growing the vegan friends group. Um, I always start the podcast by asking people about their own uh, veganism and their journey into veganism. I'm going to start with you, Joe. Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, quite a unique story. So I actually uh, was raised in uh, rural Suffolk and Norfolk. My grandparents on my mum's side have always owned and run a pig farm in North Norfolk selling pigs to be slaughtered for food. And we spent a lot of time around this farm growing up, you know, running, literally running through pig styes and, and treating them as if they were just uh, lots of pets on a very big farm. And then um, I think by the age of about 10, me and my sister started figuring out what was, what the reality was on this pig farm. And with my dad's influence, always in the background as a vegan, since we were born, we sort of put two and two together and just decided that, uh, we didn't want to be part of this uh, food chain. So, you know, with, with our parents' help, we were able to go vegetarian quite a young age. And then I guess flash forward uh, to about 2014, I, again, um, was influenced by my dad, but also sort of growing uh, awareness and some really strong documentaries around how uh, the dairy industry isn't that different uh, to the meat industry. And actually, if I wanted to make a real impact and uh, wanted to make a positive difference, then I had to go, excuse the pun, but whole hog and um, <laughs> give up the other animal products and byproducts in my life. Went vegan 2014 and never looked back. What a fascinating story. I mean, what a fascinating story from the kind of family setup. So you've got, you know, this, this huge dichotomy. You've got grandparents who run a pig farm and a vegan father. Are they <laughs> your mother's parents or your dad's parents? 
Yeah, my mum's parents owned the pig farm right, and okay. one of them still it's like, does. It's almost like Romeo and Juliet, isn't it? It's like, <laughs> it's like your mum and dad came together against all odds, you know, when you think about it. And interesting that you, you know, you saw that difference because, I mean, sometimes when people are brought up around farming, you know, they're sort of desensitised to, to what it is and what it means. But obviously, you know, with the influence of your dad, you know, you, you kind of, you saw it for what it was, I suppose. So interesting, fascinating. A great little um, nugget, Rachel, just on the on the fact that my grandparents had a, a pig farm is that they had four children they raised on this pig farm and three of them are still vegetarian. Wow. So I think that, that just shows what that exposure yeah. can do to you long term. Interesting. And pigs are such intelligent creatures, aren't they? They're beautiful creatures. I mean, they're not, they're, they're given a bad rep, you know, with a sort of dirty and snuffly and like mud but they're they're very intelligent creatures aren't they I think someone told me once that the pig has the intelligence of a three-year-old child but I don't know if I just picked that up from watching babe or if that's actually true but <laughs> fascinating, fascinating I think story. they are they are generally meant to be more intelligent than dogs which is a really yeah quite a shocking fact mm, isn't it considering mm. how differently we treat dogs yeah yeah massively uh, thank you um Rick now I know that you're not vegan but, so we're going to talk about that. <laughs> okay. let's, talk, let's talk about that. <laughs> let's talk about that. Uh, why, why aren't you vegan? Which I feel, or are you vegetarian? Tell me about, tell me about your, your, your choices. So I have what I would call in a, in a, in a, in a jokey way, completed a, a week on a vegan diet. Um, and I wanted to do that to get some understanding of how challenging it is. And I don't mean challenging to be a vegan which I'm sure has its own challenges but more about how difficult it was to find vegan food out in a supermarket or a convenience store or something like that and um, I found that I found that really quite difficult to uh, searching through the labels and finding the right products and all that kind of stuff so what I am doing and what I've been doing since I took this job on, as, as I've learned more about the category, I am reducing the amount of meat that I take into my diet now specifically. So I'm eating a lot more vegetables than I used to eat. Um, I'm eating a lot more vegan products. Quite a lot of the brands um, that I come into contact with, I then pick up and use in my repertoire, which I certainly wouldn't have done three and a half years ago when I joined it. So you're moving in the right direction. I'm moving in the right direction. I think we're going to talk about this probably in some of the other questions. Yeah, we talk about, yeah, but... yeah, yeah, yeah. But... No, it's it's interesting. I mean, we we most of the guests we have on here, you know, so sort of by very nature of the kind of work they do and the kind of interests they have, you know, they're usually vegan. It's very rare to speak to someone who isn't a vegan, but you're very welcome. I will probably keep giving you recipe suggestions and reasons why it would be really <laughs> go vegan but in a gentle and loving way rick so you know that's no problem we've good. done our own cookbook so we're <laughs> good excellent so you have no excuse then to not be able to find things to eat. <laughs> lovely uh grand thank you very much um so let's just talk about uh your products um basically joe tell us a little bit about the background of the company one planet pizza your company and what motivated you to to get into the the, the plant-based food market yeah, sure. So um, back in uh, 2016, me and my dad, both passionate vegans, uh, pizza night was Friday night for as long as I could remember growing up. And really, it was a it was a, a coming together of of a passion for pizza, 
and home cooking and decent quality food and our you know love for animals and and sustainable eating so the market had to be big enough the demand had to be there and by about 2016 luckily for us it was with the with the very rapid eruption of of the plant-based uh, food sector so we um mike actually came up with the idea he came to me and that I've got this crazy idea of starting up a business together. Do you fancy giving it a go? And it was a real uh, light bulb moment. You know, there was nothing else out there like it, which is which is really the first question you need to ask when when launching a food product. And there was an appetite for it. So we did some research. We started up a, a local sort of consumer insight group, did some testing. And then really uh, that was it. We were in his garage with our dough mixer and an old chest freezer most evenings. Um, really just coming up with those initial four recipes and really wanted to create pizzas that appeal to as many consumers as possible, not just vegans and veggies, but uh, the growing audience of, of people wanting to flex and meat eaters. Ultimately, that was the end goal to make pizzas good enough that people didn't know they were plant-based. Pizzas uh, for all. Pizzas for all. Uh, and then, so from 2016, took the concept, registered the name, really just started brand building and, and getting out there, hired a van, sold them to local independents, um, then got to the wholesalers and then eventually built uh, a concept and a brand and a team big enough that we were able to, with some investment, reach the, the big four, which was always our end goal to get into the Asda, which we did at the start of this year. Congratulations on that. I think I might be a little bit in love with your dad because I like the fact that he came to you. You know, it's normally the other way. It's, oh, dad, I've got this business idea. And then dad goes, well, it doesn't sound very viable. <laughs> um, you know, but it's, instead it's him coming to you. And uh, I like the fact that he was, you know, vegan on a pig farm as a kid, as a, as a young person. So, yeah, I've got a little soft spot for your dad already there, Joe. Um, <laughs> I'll so... introduce you after this call. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Good. Thank you. If you could, that'd be great. Um, so, so tell me about Cracked Egg, Rick. Tell me about, about how that started and why you decided to get involved in the plant-based food industry. So I, um, I joined Cracked in about April 2020, so right at the beginning of first lockdown. Mm. Um, it had been in development with uh, two development chefs, Bingham and Jones, um, for two or three or four years prior to me joining and we launched it into Marks and Spencers by about October of 2020, so about six months after I joined. Um, and really, it's a it's a li whole liquid egg replacer for people that want to replicate what an egg can do in any number of different applications. So if you want a Yorkshire pudding, which we know people have struggled with making before or in a vegan Yorkshire pudding, you can do that with cracked, you can make scrambled, you can do pancakes, you can do normal cakes. Not everyone knows that the brand is free from the 14 food uh, main food allergens, so including gluten and wheat and soya, etc. It's rich in protein, it's uh, rich in vitamin D and vitamin B12. And then most recently, we launched in May three um, eggless quiches um, into Tesco. One of those in partnership with um, This Bacon and Andy Shovel's team. And one of those flavours that actually the Lorraine flavour has also gone into Asda four or five weeks ago as well. So, um, so kind of widened out the portfolio. I have to say, I've never tried cracked egg. It's a funny thing about being vegan. It took me quite a long time to sort of try or get into vegan cheese because it's a sort of funny thing of trying something that isn't as good as the thing you remember 
but yeah. is trying to emulate it, it can be a bit off-putting. And I got so used to with egg using, you know, making cakes with, you know, apple sauce for moisture and, you know, all the other things that you can do to, to be able to make a cake without eggs. I use gram flour if I make a quiche, you know, I kind of like, or a sort of a Spanish omelette or whatever. But, you know, I really should try cracked egg because I see it on the, I see it on the shelves and I just... It's not that I think, ooh, I don't like the look of that. I just think I don't need that. Like I'm already doing it my way. But you know, you know what? When you tell me all the things it can make, I'm like, oh, I should give that a go. See, see, see how it pans out. Well, I'll, I'll show you. I'll tell you what I'll do, Rachel. Okay. I will send you some as work, and then you can try. Oh, this is fantastic! Okay. I'm, I'm on course to get a date with Joe's dad and some <laughs> yeah. cracked egg goodies. I mean, this is the, turning out to be the best podcast ever. Um. So let's just talk about this sort of decline that is happening now um, in the uh, in the the plant based food explosion. Um, what are your initial reactions to the reports? Because the media is saying, you know, oh, p- vegans are all turning back to meat, or you know, they're making up their own kind of explanations that seem very one dimensional and probably unlikely. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on that, Joe? Uh, yeah, no, it's a really um, hot topic at the moment, and uh, I've been documenting it and keeping up on LinkedIn uh, on an almost daily basis. And, and went to Meat Free Strategies recently and looked at the, the most recent insights into the sector. And someone really hit the nail on the head by starting off and saying this media narrative around the plant-based bubble bursting really needs to be taken with a very large dose of salt, and it is largely driven by the meat and dairy industry, the sector that we're up against, feeling threatened and seeing it as a fantastic opportunity to bring down the plant-based sector for obvious gains. When you when you look at the numbers, we are seeing a plateau, if you like, very generally speaking, over the plant-based sector, um, which, the, which generally speaking um, is expected when you see a new market enter, enter retail, and, and grow very rapidly, it's always going to plateau. So that's not a surprise. Uh, we experienced uh, quite a few years of incredible growth, you know, almost unrivaled growth. And it had to slow down and plateau at some point, which it's now doing. And that's also being accelerated by the, um, you know, this cost of living, living crisis, the pressures to seek value for money and people having generally less money to spend because of inflation and other factors. So that's it. That's just accelerated this um, plateauing of sales. And we're seeing a lot of consolidation in supermarkets and some uh, delistings, which again is to be expected because the category uh, just exploded and took so much space from other categories so quickly that it was always going to be consolidated down when sales started, you know, easing off. But, uh, you know, and I'll let Rick jump in, but when I look at the insights, I don't think there's anything to be worried about I think we're just entering this new stage of maturity. The numbers are still looking pretty solid. The best brands will survive and thrive. And the brands that don't deliver on taste or value, as in any other sector, um, will be delisted and you know will struggle for, for those reasons. But I think it's an exciting new period of growth. Uh, once we now stabilize and we look at these shifting consumer demands driven by things like health, value for money, and these, um, you know, these these offerings that uh, we need to we need to really dig into, such as high in protein, high in fiber, that consumers are now looking for uh, from these alternatives. 
Um, I think that's really important as well. The, you know, the nutritional values because things like vegan cheese traditionally don't have any nutritional value and they're like ultra processed and you know I see those as something that you might have as a like a little treat occasionally but definitely not a kind of crutch food that you want to get like heavily into all the time because it hasn't got the nutritional value and Rick you know crap egg is high in protein and it it you know it has b12 in it and it has you know it's got it's got good nutritional values do you think that you know that is an important factor in in how and why um, cracked egg is going so well. Yeah, I mean, ulti ultimately, obviously, I think those things definitely play a part. I mean, we have a bottle where we sit there and we constantly sit there and go, oh, we could talk about the fact that we're low cholesterol. Yeah. Or mm. we could talk about the fact that we're low in salt. But you get to a stage where there's so many messages you can put on the product <laughs> that actually the consumer will just get confused and won't like it. I mean, we... We have the vegan society front and center on our bottle so that people pick it up and go, okay, I know that's a vegan product. Mm. Because that's one thing that we think is super, super important. We've just started doing carbon um, offsetting because we think people think that's really important as well. Um, well. We've been really transparent about that. And there's a code on our bottle where you can go, go on that code and you can see what we're doing. But I mean, to, to echo some of Joe's points around, you know, this thing about plant-based sales um, concerns. I think the thing for me is it's a bit like the uh, the misquote appropriated to Mark Twain. You know, the the reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. <laughs> I sit there and think, you know, the more we talk about it, the more it becomes a thing. Andy Shovel's talked about it a lot. Joe, as you say on LinkedIn. You, you 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 put across um arguments about it i just uh, it, it it's almost like because they've started talking about it we feel like we have to defend ourselves and that creates more column inches which then gets referenced back to the original mm. focus statement <laughs> that somebody had put out so it's a bit of a full uh, um uh, uh, self-fulfilling prophecy i think We've done our own um, segmentation research over the past two or three years um, across um, almost a thousand UK consumers. We've, without giving too much away, we've noticed that there has been a move from flexitarians back in traditionals. We've seen that there's a move from scratch cooking back into buying prepared meals. I don't know if that's because of um, COVID, because of cost of living, because of less work from home, uh, uh, restrictions being uh, being lessened, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I think and uh, this is what Joe said as well. I would I would say the upshot's pretty simple. We need to make better products that taste better, that work better, that cost less. And if we do that, why wouldn't more people come to us? It's a, it's a good point. I was going to say, actually, you know, what is the magic recipe pardon the pun because it's not actually talking about food but the magic recipe for you know not being a product that is going to be delisted you know is it is it mostly about taste it, you know is it is cost you know if, if you were 50p less than everyone doing a comparable product would you know that how much would that boost your sales by you know is it about technology is it about you know innovating are the people that are staying you know at the front of the market have they done something you know really innovative is it like what's it What's the meat one that looks like meat? Marbles? 
I haven't tried that either because I never juicy liked marbles, meat. Yeah. That's it, juicy marbles. So they've obviously really gone all out to be like, we want to look like meat. And apparently it's very good, but I never liked meat. I've never eaten a steak. I'm not about to start having something that emulates <laughs> that. So I'm probably never going to try that one. But, you know, what do you think the, I mean, obviously a pizza is a fairly basic um, uh, design, you know, like obviously you want it to be delicious, but, you know, it, it's it's not, you're not going to have to go into alchemy to try and replicate a pizza and make it vegan like you are if you're making a meat replacement. I guess to make a good egg replacement, you, there's a bit more alchemy involved, Rick, but what, you know, is it is it about staying at the front edge of that changing and developing technology that's going to you know, I, mean, I suppose I'm getting to it. one day someone will make a cheese that actually tastes like cheese, and then it, you know, that, that'll be it. <laughs> and all the other cheeses will just, you know, fall by the wayside. But you know, is that the key? And are we nearly there? Where you know, with making things so good that there's there's never going to be a drop in the market for that. Yeah, no, I, I think you, you. I think you're right, Rachel. So I looked. Um, I looked at our sales um, over the last uh, three months. And then compared them against um, the same period last year, and we, we managed to increase our sales two hundred and twenty percent, roughly speaking. Wow. Mainly, mainly with um, a new, a bigger listing with Asda. Um, but it's really interesting looking at that compared to last year because of this whole narrative around plant-based in decline. And our sales, you know, very niche, but it's frozen vegan pizza, and it's one brand, and it, you know, our story is the exact opposite with that lovely growth figure. But um, the reason I highlighted that is that I think there is obviously still this huge demand for plant-based. And when you look at who's buying plant-based at the moment and why, generally for, from the insights I've seen, um, and, and it's a lot more complicated and you can segment them into three or four consumer types, but I think the majority are younger people looking to flex. So they are the flexitarians. They're not identifying as anything in particular, you know, vegan, vegetarian, but they are looking to eat less meat and dairy for mainly for health reasons, for their own health, because plant-based does has a, this amazing halo effect around health benefits, um, lower salt, fat, sugar, generally associated with eating more plant-based foods. And, and then a close second for most consumers, younger consumers in general is, is um, sustainability. So people are increasingly worried about climate change, you know, you don't have to look too far into the news to see a story about some extreme weather somewhere nearby. So people are getting more worried about this. And there is this increasing awareness around uh, the impact your food choices have on on the climate change, uh, on the climate crisis and, and your carbon footprint. So these are the sort of driving factors which are pulling consumers into to plant based and it, it's great to see, and and it's I think that's what's key for for us brands to understand. It's what's bringing these new people into the category, and and from my understanding for pizza, and probably maybe similar for you, Rick. But for us, it's uh, our food is is pizza. It's indulgent. It's associated with taste. That has to come first. Otherwise, no one's going to come into the category uh, from meat and dairy. So we have to nail taste, which I think you said, Rick. That has to come first. Ours is a bit more straightforward because everyone, we're not reinventing the wheel. Yeah. Um, you know, pizza is pretty straightforward. It's it's a pretty, you know, world popular, uh, well understood food. Uh, always eaten on a Friday, Saturday night, pretty much. And um, sales have, have always been steadily increasing for frozen pizza in the UK, at least. So 
really, uh, I think going back to your original question on the cheese is we will constantly focus on trying to bring consumers, the vegans, vegetarians, but also these new younger audiences, the best tasting vegan alternatives. So we're, we're, we are always looking at the next best vegan cheese. We've recently swapped to one that we're really happy with, but there is lots of innovation and, uh, and technological advances to bring, you know, that holy grail, which I think will be the cheeses and the eggs, which I think once they are as good as the current offerings, the traditional ones, then that's when it gets really exciting and we can tap into the, the majority of consumers who are still meat eaters. And Rick, you know, in this in this, you know, shrinking market as it's being billed and it, and it, you know, it has shrunk a little bit, as we've discussed for a variety of reasons. You've obviously just this year, you know, developed new products with the quiche and, and things. And do you think for you, innovation is going to be the big thing? I mean, do you think now you've got this, you know, you can buy this egg product. Now you're going to start making more and more products that have that egg product in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I think the first thing I'd say is, you know, with with the with the liquid egg on its own, if you make a cake with eggs, your cake does not taste of eggs. But if you have scrambled egg, your taste will your eggs will taste of scrambled egg. So you've got two very different roles that the the product must be able to fulfil. And I think we do a really really great job on the baking. And on the scrambled, we have improved it once and we are looking to improve it um, still further and give it a more eggy flavour without that flavour transferring when you put it into a cake and you don't expect um, the, the eggy flavour. With regard I'm just going to put it out there, Rick. Sorry to yeah. interrupt. I'm just saying two different, you know, cracked egg, scrambled. Yeah. Cracked egg, everything else. Just saying. Just make two different ones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and potentially that that might be something that that we look at that we look at doing. But the whole thing behind it in the first place was how can you make something that was as easy and versatile as an egg? And that's always been the challenge we've tried to try to address. If it became too much of a compromise, I think yes, potentially mm. we would we would look and do it. With regards to new product development, I think yeah, undoubtedly that is something that would be super interesting to us because there's hundreds of products that are made with eggs, quite apart from the ones that have tiny bits of eggs in them for no reason. But there are hundreds <laughs> of products that are um, have a large uh, amount of egg within it, which it would make sense for us if there was a consumer's demand to go and execute behind. So, I, yeah, I would, I would say that would be something that would be very focused on in the next 12, 18 months. Um, let's just talk about the cost of living crisis a little bit, because obviously we can't not talk about it when we're talking about uh, consumers and <laughs> food, particularly because food's been so, so horrendously hit. I mean, you know, just the even if you're somebody who's lucky enough to not particularly look at the prices on things when you do your supermarket shopping, you can't help but notice how big the bill is when you get to the till or just individual things. You're like something that maybe has been creeping up and you're like, what's £3.50 for a jar of this? When did that happen? You know, it's like it can be, um, well, it's shocking, isn't it? It's over overtaken talking about the weather, hasn't it? Oh my gosh, it absolutely has. You're <laughs> right. You're right. And um, and people sort of saying, "Oh, I tell you what, I do. If I, you know, I tell you where you want to get your this from. Go to this shop for this and this shop for that because actually, you know, 
I'm somebody who I just can't bear. I don't like supermarket shopping. So the idea of going having to go into more than one in a week is like a horrible thought. So I just find the supermarket that's quickest and easiest and best for me. I'm probably some kind of category of consumer. There's probably lots of us about. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think... You know, do you think that because these and these pro these new and innovative vegan products, meat replacements, egg replacement, you know, the, the kind of food that you're making, you know, they are more expensive. It, it, you know, the mind does boggle sometimes that they can be more expensive than something that was an animal that had to go through all of the things that it, involved in bringing it to market and bringing it. You know, it's amazing how cheap meat can be sometimes, you know, obviously not probably not the greatest meat and um, they are expensive. Do you think there's a sort of responsibility um for companies like yours to think about now what kind you know could we do a budget product could we do something and of course this goes against everything you both just said about taste probably but what you know should should we and could we do something that would be more accessible to people who are struggling financially or is that going to kind of you know you're going to shoot yourself in the foot or sort of undercut yourself or dilute the product do you think or do you think that's a possibility yeah, well, I, I mean, look, for, for, for me, I, I, t- I can't speak for Joe. For me, it's about scale. So we don't have the scale yet. We've got all the development that we've done. And um, we are we are still not a multi-billion pound business or industry. So as we sell, as we create a better product and we sell more of it, and we do that consistently, we will get to economies of scale where I will be able to run it down a machine that does 100,000 in a minute as opposed to one that does 100 in a minute. And as I do that, I'll get cost benefits, which I'll then be able to pass on to the consumer. That's how it will work. Mm. Um, And that's what we're working to do. But the first thing it starts with, make a product that's so good that it's not just for vegans. It is a brilliant product that just so happens to be a vegan product. Mm. I, I, do you know, obviously, because I'm not in the industry, I hadn't really thought about the impact on price that scale has. So mm. you just, just um, you know, ex- making the example of how many you might be able to run off in a, in a run compared to what it might be, you know, what, what it is now compared to what it could be, of course, that's going to make a massive difference. Um, you've both spoken a bit about your products and, and you know, their sort of uh, trajectory and, and where they've gone and how they've grown. Um, I, I'd love you to chat a little bit about some of your uh, some of your accolades. Um, obviously, you're both sounding like you're doing great stuff, but Cracked Egg won a, an award this year, didn't it, Rick? Yeah. Yeah. So I think look, the first accolade I talk about is we get notes and direct messages on our instagram or on our um or on our how can you help how can we help at crack.com weekly from people saying thanks ever so much um i've never been able to bake a cake for my son because he's egg intolerant and this year his fifth birthday party he could have a cake with all his friends around you sit there and go oh, okay okay that's that's kind of what it's all about um yes we have one we we've won a number of awards we won the Product of the Year Award for Liquid Egg, which is on the bottle. We won Vegan Food and Living uh, Awards. We won Farm and Deli Awards. Um, so yeah, we've won we've won a re- reasonable amount of awards, which is great. And that's all stuff you can talk about and gives the buyers a little bit more confidence to buy your product from you, and therefore should help your distribution and more sales and all that kind of stuff. 
we're really pleased that the awareness of the brand is is growing significantly so we're just about to do another read but we grew it by five points in four months and i'm hoping that this read that we're doing at the end at the beginning of october will push us another five points further on i'm still loads to do but moving us moving us in the right direction i've talked about the fact that we did all the work all the background work that you have to do in order to get carbon certified with climate partner that was a massive thing for us we moved from a 50% RPET bottle to a 100% RPET bottle. Yes, it's still a bottle, but we have to HPP the product to make it safe. And we haven't got another vessel that we could do that in at the moment to make sure that the product is safe. Once we find that other vessel to put it on, we can we can move out of plastic um, uh, um, to uh, totally. I think we've built some great relationships within the, the vegan community. And one of the things that I would say about why I really enjoy working in this community, having not worked in it before, I've been in FMCG since 96, but this is the first three years I've spent in um, plant-based and vegan, is everyone seems to have the same goal. We're all trying to reduce animal protein in some way, shape or form in the marketplace. And it feels like we're all in it together. And I've not- It's nice that to hear. Before. That's really nice to hear. Oh, that makes you're me You're absolutely good. right, Rick. It is, I probably say that once a week to people who are outside of this industry, that it is, it is so uh, supportive and collaborative. And it's like everyone has an open book. You know, all these plant-based brands are in it together. And it is like, it's one big family. And that came, that came so apparent when we, uh, you know, had all the struggles that we did have over the last well, last three or four years in particular last year but uh, that's when everyone comes together and you know how can we help each other and support each other that's lovely uh, talk to us a little bit about one planet pizza's accolades joe yeah sure um, so not to get too heavy but if i'm being totally honest last year with with the cost of living hit us really hard um i've, I've shared our challenges on linkedin quite openly because i want people to learn from them and it's it's not all um it's not all positive, you know. There is, there is a lot of uh, hard work that goes into building a, a food brand, especially if you if you want it to be ethical or sustainable, and a, a you know a force for good. So last year we had to make some really tough redundancies. We had to um, scale back. We had our own production site here in Norwich that we had to actually close down when those uh, energy bills started soaring. We just you know our our survival was was threatened within. Within three months, you know, the whole business suddenly had to, we had to make a really difficult decision. So we closed everything down here and moved our whole operation over to the Netherlands. We found a really brilliant pizza producer out there. And, you know, I, I do believe everything happens for a reason. And, and we, I remember we sat, me and Mike sat down and said, you know, if we're going to survive this, are we willing to do this and give it a go? So we decided that we did think it, you know, we did think there was a future, so we moved the production, made some redundancies, and we actually, we, we actually within the same six months managed to win the ASDA listing um, for the national rollout. So it was a pretty, it was a pretty scary roll of the dice, but it did it did work out for the best, and we actually came out with a much better range of pizzas. So a nice sourdough range um, with a brilliant this brilliant wood fired base. I think a much better pepperoni. 
partnering with a producer over in Europe that make, I think, the best plant-based pepperoni I've ever tried. And that's the pizza that's in Asda. And then had a chance to slightly refresh the brand and the packaging and ultimately restructured our whole business over six months. But, um, you know, we survived. We weathered the storm. I think it makes for a really good story. And hopefully others can learn and 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 grow from from our challenges and our learnings. And and now I guess in terms of accolades, getting to getting to win that listing and now going out and sampling in front of Asda stores and out out in these cities where we have the shops um, selling the pepperoni. That's uh, I think Rick touched on it, but that in, that customer feedback from people who haven't ever tried a plant based pizza, they try your pizza. And we, you know, we do some filming and put it on socials and having having meat eaters try it. And then we tell them it's a plant based pizza. That's a vegan cheese, a vegan pepperoni. You know, seeing those barriers come down in front of your eyes is amazing. And that's for me what it's all about is changing that perception of what plant based food can taste like and look like. So, yeah, haven't unfortunately haven't won as many awards as Rick this year. But um, I'm happy that we've we've you know restructured the business and survived a pretty nasty period for everyone yeah. and uh, you know come out stronger and now we've got this amazing pizza which is which is hopefully you know revolutionizing um our part of the sector and thank you for your candor as well you know because you're right it isn't it, everything isn't always you know positive it's not all you know roses and um you know uh, and especially in this in this difficult time, I think it's important for people to hear that, you know, that it's tough. It's it is also bonkers, but this is probably for a different episode. It is bonkers <laughs> that it it you know, it saved you money and kept you afloat by being able to move your your business to the Netherlands. You know, it's, crazy world, it's, isn't there's it? a whole it's there's a whole lot of stuff that we'd have to have a completely different podcast for. Um, but I'm really glad that it's worked out as well. I, I'm sure neither of you want to um you know, give away any uh, business secrets, even though the the vegan food market does sound like a warm and fuzzy place uh, to be. But what innovations or developments or changes? I mean, you you obviously have just made a lot, Joe, by the sounds of things. But what do you think, Rick, is around the corner to make sure that if this market is shrinking a little bit for a variety of reasons, um, that you're you're you don't shrink within that? Obviously, you've sort of future proofed yourself a little bit, Joe, by the sound of things. But what about you, Rick? So, I mean, we're, we're forecasted to quadruple our turnover this year. So, um, job done then. It, 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 <laughs> it, answer that question. Yeah, answer that question. <laughs> I, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the rest of the year off. Uh, no, I don't think we're going to do that. I think we're going to be working really, really hard. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, look, we've got lots of, we've got lots of plans. Um, the, the thing about the product at the moment is we've, we've literally just done it in retail but we are able to get a derivative of it, which is suitable for manufacturing. Um, so um, that's a big potential area of growth for us. Um, and um, we obviously have other products that are mentioned, added value products that are in development, which we're really excited about. We've shown some concepts already and people are pretty excited about it. And we did it. We did with a plant-based world expo last year and we put a um, a pile of uh, a, a two tubes up and said would you would you like us to launch this um quiche that we were sampling at the time and four people said no to our faces 
but everyone else is really <laughs> lovely to us. Um, so, you know, we, we've got other products now that we're sitting there going, well, okay, well, if they really like that, let's put this into testing and maybe they'll really like that as well. So, um, it so, sounds yeah, great. Where can people find Cracked Egg? So you can find us in Ocado, Marks and Spencers, Tesco and Asda. In um, You can find us on the Vegan Wholesaler. Where else can you find us? I'm going to get killed for forgetting some of uh, Wellex. Um, you can find us. And then our quiches at the moment, you can just find in Tesco and in Asda. Lovely. Thank you. And, uh, and Joe, obviously you're in Asda right now. Yeah, I've got to say, Rick, I'm, I'm di- I posted about the um, quiche uh, when it first came out. Was it Tesco first? Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I posted about it because I was so excited. I thought that that's the type of innovation our sector needs because, you know, I put myself in that supermarket and think, OK, if I wasn't working in this industry, what would I be looking for? What would excite me? And that quiche just absolutely nailed it for so many reasons for me. So, yeah, I, I, need, I didn't realise it was now in Asda, which is my local. So that's really exciting. I'll go hopefully find it in, in my nearby Asda soon. But, yeah, I've heard nothing but good things. Yeah. So, so, yeah, One Planet Pizza, you can find our taste bud pleasers in the freezers of your local Asda. Nice. So get that as a mouthful. <laughs> Spitting some rhymes, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, we are in, uh, we're in pretty much nine out of ten Asdas. So the odds are hopefully you will find us in your local in the plant-based freezers. Uh, that's the pepperoni, our hero product. Uh, we're actually on offer at three pounds, and that's for the next few weeks. But we've got another offer coming out later in the year, and then you can find us in about five hundred uh, independents and health stores around the country. Um, we've got a big stockist locator map on the website, uh, which we've just upgraded. So yeah, you can go and find your local stockist there. But uh, for us, it's Asda is the easiest place to go and find them. Lovely. Thank you both so much. Thank you to Joe and Rick for joining us on this episode. It's provided a really great insight into how vegan businesses are tackling current challenges. And it's been fantastic to hear about your recent successes. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks very much. It's a pleasure. And you can let us know your thoughts in all the usual places. Find us on X slash Twitter, whatever we're calling it these days, at Vegan Society, on Instagram at the Original Vegan Society or on Facebook. And of course, we'll be back for another episode of the Vegan Pod next month. So don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. <laughs>